one on the way out. For those of you who are regulars part of our church, particularly for the members, on uh, next Sunday, the 23rd, isn't it, of February, is that we're going to have a members meeting, 1.30. And so if you are a member, then we certainly would encourage you to be in prayer about that and to even set aside time to come and attend that. Um, you would, there are agendas and minutes of previous meetings and things available for you as you exit today. Many of you would have received those via email. And there are also a couple of profiles. At this meeting, we're bringing two names of two pastors, possibly for us to consider to be interim pastors here at Sunnybank for the remainder of this year. One is David Daniels, who is with us this morning. You know David, he's part of our church. And the other one is David Butterfield, who has just finished up at Jimboomba. And some of you may know David as well. Please pray for both of those guys. If you don't know them, then there are profiles there for you to read and to be in prayer about. So, members 23rd, not 22nd, of February, 1.30pm. Next, prior to that, <coughs> well, on the Saturday evening, which is the 22nd, at... Uh, 5 p.m. we're having a welcome back dinner, a welcome home type thing for Yong and Suzanne who are likewise with us this morning and uh, it costs five dollars I think you need to RSVP for that. There's a thing for you to sign to let them people know that you're coming and we encourage you to come to that likewise. That'll be a good time together. The following day there is, just before the members meeting, there is a Japanese lunch which is also a fundraiser to raise funds for our missionaries, um, the Westerns, in Japan. And so if you're coming to the members' meeting, here is one possible thing for you to do, is to come a bit earlier, 12.30, and have some exciting Japanese food. You can see there, we're selling tickets for that. Cost you $10. Uh, it's double the price of the uh, Paysan, so... <laughs> Sunday rates, I think, is what that is. And I think there's one more announcement. Oh, mowing roster. <clears throat> we have a huge property and lots of grass. And I think the edges on our property, on all of our paths and around the buildings and everywhere else, I think it's, don't quote me on this, but it's something like three kilometres. It takes hours and hours and hours and hours to do. I think somebody did it by themselves. took them ten hours which either says something about them or the whippersnipper that they had. <laughs> Just how much it, how big it is. And so we've had some guys who have been faithfully serving us uh, over the years and uh, now at the uh, end of that year and the beginning of this year, as often happens, people transition, things change and so folks have pulled off the mowing roster. So we greatly appreciated you guys who have been able to do that and we're sad that you can't continue that. So we obviously need to recruit some more. It's not just a guys thing, girls can do this as well. There's ride-on mowers, there's edges and things like that. It's huge property and so we just need to encourage you and recruit you. Uh, please give us your name and sign up and you can have fun together on how you do it. I think that's the end of the announcements. Um, <coughs> let's take three minutes and turn, greet one another. Let's stand together. Thought you were going to get out of it, didn't you? Thank you.
How are you? Good, thank you. You have to meet my daughter and son-in-law after the service. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. No problem. What's the weight? Yeah, a couple of kilos. Three kilos. This is a church where we tell the truth to each other. And my personal trainer is here this morning and he says, you've put on kilos. <laughs> so next time we close our eyes and pray, I'd like someone to thump him, please. <laughs> I also forgot to announce, and Pam kindly reminded me, if you're a newcomer, if you're new to us, this church, to Sunnybank, then we've got a newcomer's morning tea for you straight after this service. And there's one likewise after each of our services today. So that'll happen just outside the building. Out here there are some covered uh, tables and uh, you can either turn up there and someone will be there to welcome and just to chat and get to know you a little bit. Um, and we encourage you to do that. Also, we've had um, uh, Keith and Alyssa Dallinger had a little baby girl, Lillian. Lillian. Uh, so some of you will know them, and so congratulations to them. That uh, happened a couple of weeks ago, a week and a half ago. Um, and Sally Ford is engaged to Tyler. Yeah, to Tyler. So that's lovely, isn't it? When are they getting married? Oh, sometime this year. Cool. Excellent. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you again that we find ourselves together and in your presence. We thank you for your word, for your spirit. And we pray now that that spirit, your spirit, the Holy Spirit, might take your word, might enlighten us, might increase our understanding, but more, take us into a deeper experience of knowing you and loving you. Lord, here we are, desiring to know you more. We pray that you would grant us this blessing in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Somebody asked me the question, I thought it was a good question, so I said, gee, I should mention that at the beginning this morning. The question was, um, last week when I said that we should bless the Lord, how do we bless God? You know, he blesses us, how do we bless him? When God blesses us, he obviously either gives us things or bestows spiritual blessings upon us, his grace, his mercy, his peace, his relationships and all the good things. He gives us those things. How can we bless God if that's what blessing means? Well, the word blessing is used in different ways. And so when we bless God, like the psalmist says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. What we are doing is thanking, extolling, praising. That's what the word to bless God means, that we are thanking him for all of the good things that he's given us. Um, and just like in English, the word bless is used in another way. When someone sneezes, what do we say? Bless you. What are we saying? Thank you. I think it comes from some other old tradition, doesn't it? Some of you might know this better than I. My recollection is that it comes somehow from a German background and there's this very ancient belief that when you sneeze, you sneeze your soul out. And uh, that uh, if someone didn't say, bless you, Gesundheit, very quickly, then some sort of evil spirit would come rushing into you. So when you sneeze, we have to say, bless you, to protect you. That's where it comes from. Did you know that? Yes? No? I don't think that's biblical truth. But now that it's on the internet, then it's definitely not biblical truth. But maybe you know some other origin for the word bless you, then you can come and share that with me later.
In this magnificent book, the book of Ephesians, and in this opening chapter, which is where we find ourselves this morning in the second half of it, there is an amazing balance between praise, verses 3 to 14, and prayer. Firstly, it's praising the Lord, blessing the Lord, and then in the second half, he turns, the Apostle Paul falls to his knees in not just praise, but in petition. And this is a normal balance through the New Testament, and it's a balance that we need to adopt into our own lives of praise and of prayer. As I said last week, there's also an amazing balance between its Trinitarian. There is the Father, the Son and the Spirit who are all involved in this. And just by way of introduction, just as I said last week, verses 3 to 14 is one long sentence in the Greek, which makes it complicated, complex and gives it a flow of overlapping ideas backwards and forwards. So this, these verses, verses 15 to 23, are likewise one long sentence in the Greek text. The Apostle Paul's heart is full, and his mind is just overflowing with these truths. Here he is in prison in Rome, where he writes the book of Ephesians and Colossians, Philippians and Philemon, and he's just having, it would appear, some incredible experiences and times alone with the Lord. And he's pouring out the overflow of what he's hearing, of what God is doing in the churches. And that's a good reminder to us as well, that what we hear about others should drive us to prayer and often for thankfulness. When we hear others believing, when we hear others growing in the faith, we ought to be praying thankfully for them. As John Stott says, it's impossible to be in Christ and not to be drawn to him in trust and to his people in love. That's what Paul says here at the beginning, verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, this balancing faith in Jesus, love for believers. And the Apostle Paul in this prayer that we'll come to in a moment, the content of it is is basically saying... God has given us so many spiritual blessings in Christ. I'm praying that you will realise what you've received, that you'll enter into the full experience of it. So let's work our way through this this morning. Verse 15, the Apostle Paul, as I just indicated, balances or links together faith in Christ and love for people. These are inseparably linked. Personal faith in the Lord Jesus brings us into an experience of salvation where we are forgiven and we are saved from sin's penalty, from sin's power, and one day when the Lord Jesus returns from sin's presence. Faith in Christ links us with him in salvation and he delivers us from our sin. That's individually. But it's expressed, this experience of forgiveness and salvation has a fruit, has a manifestation. It is demonstrated by a changed attitude towards God's people. We love God's people. It's expressed in community. And hence, one of the focus for us for this year is to develop and encourage you to get into life groups. And if you filled in a form saying, I'd like to join a life group, then I trust you received an email this week updating you on that. There are about a dozen of you, I think, who said you'd like to actually join up. So if you haven't done so, let me encourage you to think seriously about joining a life group, starting a life group, getting into a group with people, particularly as we work our way through this series. There are some people, you know, who say they follow Jesus and they'll say, Jesus, yes, I'll have him. But church, no, no thanks. Been it, done it, over it, disappointed with it. 
And I always struggle, it's a reality, and I personally struggled with it. The biggest church in Brisbane, probably the biggest church in any major city in the world today, is the church of the people who say, Jesus, yes, but they don't go to church. They're not linked to any church. You probably know people like that. Maybe you find yourself here this morning and this is the first time you've been in church for a long time and you're trying to find your way back. Well, you're heading in the right direction because it's biblically anathema. It's, it's inseparable. If I love Jesus and have faith in him, then his spirit will be at work in me to link me with and to attract me to his people. With all of their imperfections, with all of their frustrations, because we're all in process. You stop and think about it. A person who says, Jesus, yes, church, no, are really saying, Jesus, I love you, I want you as Lord and Saviour of my life, but I don't like the work that you are doing. You said you would build your church. Well, frankly, I don't like the church. I don't want anything to do with it. But I'll take you. Well, eventually, there's going to be a parting of the ways because to love the Lord Jesus is going to love him and to love what he is doing. And he is committed to building his people in community. So that requires some sort of patience and tolerance and extending grace to one another. Um, I wasn't sure if I was going to say this this morning or not, but I am. We live in an increasingly rude world, don't we? Just seems to me, I don't know if my radar's just higher, I'm more sensitive to it, but it just seems to me that people are increasingly acting as if they're the most important people, that what they do is more significant than anybody else. <clears throat> it's easy to establish. Next time you're out driving, driving in traffic, just see if they'll let you in. <laughs> Next time you leave a crowded event, be it a sport event or a concert or going to the cinema or the theatre or something, and there's a mad rush, just wait to see who is considerate of others instead of just considering themselves. Or for those of you who fly, see who waits for who to get off the plane. That's a mad rush at the end, isn't it? For those of you who fly, the plane stops, taxis to the, run, to the end and well, pulls in at the, whatever the word is, at the end. and The sign goes off and then all of a sudden, 80% of the plane stands. <laughs> Grab your bag and you stand there for five minutes waiting. And then you have a debate. Because there are people sitting down. They didn't stand up, they didn't get in line. Are we going to let them in? Or do we get out first? Is that what it's like? I know that's what it's like because that's what I do. <laughs> We're all tainted by living in this fallen world. And our social media, I think, is making it worse. Biting, harsh, critical, nasty, terrible comments. And it annoys me that television news programs will advertise them and propagate them. Twitter and Facebook and email and text and Instagram and all the rest of it. We're all guilty to some extent of participating in this culture of rudeness. We need to raise our awareness. Watch the grumbling monitor or the gossiping or the deriding or the judging. The Bible calls us to follow the Lord Jesus and he was the servant of all. The Bible calls us to be the greatest, to aspire to be great servants. 
Our significance as followers of the Lord Jesus is not to be determined by how many people serve us, but by how many people we serve. Have an attitude of service. And you have the opportunity now to join the mowing roster to serve. I thought that was a nice segue. And there are other areas of the church you could do so as well. The Apostle Paul links faith in the Lord Jesus with this love for his people, love for saints. And then he prays. When he hears, he says, Ever since I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus... I haven't stopped giving thanks for you and remembering you in my prayers. And he's about to tell us what he prays. And it's a great prayer. It's a great prayer for us to pray for ourselves, for our families, kids, for one another, for those who are struggling in their faith and following the Lord Jesus. It's a great prayer to pray. He basically, in this prayer, um, is praying for two things. And if you have a look at verse 17 and verse 18 you'll see that there are two purpose clauses. I pray this so that, and I pray this in order that. So it's that result that he is looking for for when he prays. The text says, I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power to us who believe. The Apostle Paul's prayer, and that's it. As soon as he mentions the power, God's incomparably great power, he gets off onto a sidetrack, as he does in Colossians, and he starts talking about the person of the Lord Jesus. The prayer is verses um, 17 and 18. And he prays firstly that God would give the... the, the the new believers, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. There's gallons of ink spent by commentators trying to understand exactly which way this should go. And the reality is that grammatically and according to Greek syntax, it can go one of two ways. So you won't make the decision based upon that. It has to be based upon some other, your theological belief or some other perspective. Either the Apostle Paul is praying that God would give the new believers a spirit, an attitude, a disposition, an experience of wisdom, the ability to see, have insight and discernment in a situation and a spirit of revelation, that they would have the veils pulled back so that their understanding would increase and that their experience would deepen. He's either praying for that or more likely and more difficult for us, depending on our theology, he's actually praying for these new Christians who have received the Spirit, because you can't be a Christian without having the Holy Spirit. He's actually praying that the Holy Spirit, that God would give them the Holy Spirit to have this experience. It's not a second blessing thing. It's not another reception of the Spirit. It's more like the Apostle Paul is praying that the Holy Spirit would manifest in them wisdom and revelation they're not you know dramatically opposed to each other but in terms of being precise exactly what is he praying and it's probably the second one is the side that i would learn on lean on but you could easily go this side and but the point of it all regardless of how we understand that 
I pray that they'll get an experience of spiritual wisdom and spiritual revelation. Why? So that you will know the Father. So that you will know God. That you'll know him better. You know him already because you've come to believe in him. But there is so much more to know and experience about him. Not just to know about, no facts or no academic truth or theological attributes or anything like that, but to know him. That's what he prays. And so for us on this Christian journey of spiritual transformation, it's the Apostle Paul praying that we will move to the right. We go from being new believers to growing believers, from growing believers to maturing believers and going further on in our deepening experience of the Lord. Not to have the attitude that we have arrived. Sadly, some people who profess faith in the Lord Jesus seem to be quite content with little knowledge. The words of the hymn, I need no other argument, I need no other plea, I only know it is enough that Jesus died, for, that Jesus died and that he died for me. Seems to be good words for where they're at. I don't need to talk about, I don't need to understand the gospel, I don't need to understand any more about theology, I just know Jesus died for me and that's it. And they don't go anywhere else. Well, the Apostle Paul seems to be saying in this passage, no, that's not adequate, we need to go on. Secondly, some people settle for just simply mere knowledge, mere knowledge of the Bible. They read the Bible, they study the Bible, they know the Bible. And that's good and essential, you can only know, you won't know God without the Bible. But it's not about knowing the Bible, it's about knowing the author of the Bible. The Bible is a stepping stone to know him, so that as you're reading the scripture, you're looking for what he is like. Or thirdly, some people do that, they read their Bible, and some people like to study a lot about God. Lay theologians, if you like. They're quite happy to read and to discuss and to argue about the attributes of God and what he's like. They know a great deal about God. <clears throat> but they don't necessarily know him personally. You see, it's quite possible to know biblical truth and to not know Jesus. That's amazing, isn't it? But you can know things and not know him. That's exactly what he said. On the last day, many will appear before him. And they'll say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed miracles in your name. We used your name. We did those things, those religious, spiritual experiences. And Jesus' response, I don't know you. Depart from me. It's possible to be engaged and involved in these things and to not know him. So the question for us this morning has to be, do you know him? Not just know about him, do you know him? And to know him means you've got to spend time with him. Just like in any relationship, there has to be this mutual exchange, a giving and a taking, a talking to and a listening from. A sharing in a relationship. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul says in another book, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. His prayer, after 25 years of being a Christian, thereabouts, after 25 years, his prayer is, I pray that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. 
to know him. Not know, but experience. Know experientially in my daily walk, him. And he says in verse 12, chapter 3, Philippians, um, I haven't already attained this, but I press on. That's what he prays for the Ephesians here. That you might know God better, deeper. So how do you do that? Well, as we've alluded to, read the scriptures. But read the scriptures with the filter of, Lord, show me what you are like. Reveal yourself to me. Reveal to me your character. And talk to him and listen to what he says back and meditate upon the truths of scripture. You can't get to know him unless you commit to spending time with him. It's a progressive thing. So how are you going in your journey of you getting to know God better? <clears throat> it's, not a, it's a great prayer, a great prayer to pray. A great prayer to pray for ourselves. But it's not a prayer you pray as a one-off and suddenly you get this you know, instant package of knowing God. It's not FedEx to you at the end of your prayer. It's about developing a relationship. That's the first part of Paul's prayer. The second part is, verse 18, he says, And I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Now he's either saying, I want that to happen to you, or it can be understood to mean, seeing that the eyes of your heart have been enlightened, you've already entered into some sort of spiritual understanding of who Jesus is. And because of that, I am praying that you'll go further on. He says, in order that you might know the hope to which he has called you, that you might know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and that you might know the incomparably great power for us who believe. Those three things, two of them future, that that we as believers might know the hope, the confident hope that we have because of Jesus, that our destiny of where we're going, we're heading for heaven, not just heaven, but we're heading for the throne. We're going to rule and reign with Christ. That hope makes us optimistic. One commentator said, and I like these words, he says, we're going to stand with Christ at the final press conference of the universe. We're going to stand with Christ at the final press conference of the universe. And our photo will be taken with him. And we will be like him. That's our destiny. That's what he has done for us in his death on the cross. And not only that, this is again one of those disputed things, but the English text says, um, and that you might know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Not just the inheritance that we get, but the inheritance that he gets in us. He chose us, he adopted us, he redeemed us, he forgave us, he has sealed us with his spirit, And we are his treasure. That's what it's saying. Of all of the things and all of the universe that he owns and possesses, he prizes us first. That's what Paul is praying. That the Ephesians will get it. That they will understand the status they now have in him. That we are his, that we belong to him, that he owns us. I was thinking about this on the way here this morning. How can I illustrate this? And I thought of this, and it's a bit of a strange example, but it's mine. We live in a fallen world. 
And sometimes the people who come against us, our opponents or situations are overwhelming. So imagine uh, somebody bigger than me standing here. Okay? And so that's the enemy. They're the ones who are opposed to us. Now imagine behind them is the Lord Jesus and make him about 20 foot tall. So now in my situation in life, when I see the odds against me, when situations and circumstances are overwhelming, whether it's people or situations, when I see how big and powerful he is, that he can quite simply reach forward and wipe this out, change the situation like that if he wanted to, that he could. So there's no problem then. If I have my eyes on him, not on them, then it is totally reasonable for me simply to bow the knees before them because I'm watching him. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't. <laughs> Two kids are having a fight in the playground. One kid's bigger than the other kid. And the little kid who's getting beat up suddenly has their big brother turn up. How does the little kid feel now? You're in trouble. Because my big brother's here. It's that attitude of us saying, it doesn't matter what the Roman persecutors do to the Apostle Paul. It doesn't matter what people say against you as a follower of the Lord Jesus. Our big brother is here. And he has the ability to change circumstances. Whether he will or won't is up to him, but he can. And so my attitude is simply one of submission to him and accepting that. It's understanding that dynamic of what's at play. That's where the Apostle Paul goes to in the third one, that we might know and understand and experience the incomparably great power for us who believe. When was the greatest demonstration of power in the history of the world? Not the atom bomb, not a hurricane, not a volcano, not Noah's flood. Greatest demonstration of power in the universe, in this earth's history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the greatest demonstration of power. That he was the Lord Jesus who gave his life, his earthly life, that his body and soul were separated and his soul went to a place called the grave, to Hades. And when in Hades, he's still alive, he still exists. That's what happens, there is life after death. So he is alive in Hades, having paid the penalty for our sin. And lined up against him are all the army of Satan and all of the demons in full battle regalia to keep him dead. And this passage talks about how God exerted his power to raise Jesus from the dead. That's the greatest demonstration. And as Paul will go on in the very next chapter, he will say, the power that raised Christ from the dead is the very same power that raised us from spiritual death and gave us new life in him and has linked us with him. As he is exalted to the heavens, so we are seated in the heavenly realms in him. Paul prays that the Ephesians will get it, that they'll understand that. That God's power is available. It's God's power that not only saves us, it's God's power that enables us to persevere through trials. 
if you're going through a trial, you're going through a hard time of struggle, look to your bigger brother. Ask for his assistance. I was called out to a situation this week where this family was going through a trial. <clears throat> they hadn't gotten to the point I was going to say, they hadn't gotten to the point of calling out to their big brother. They had prayed. They had prayed faithfully. They had asked God to change the situation, but it hadn't happened. And they were a bit miffed with God because it hadn't happened. Well, sometimes it's like that, isn't it? This is not a a cure-all and everything gets changed instantly and immediately. We live in a fallen world where sometimes in his wisdom he allows us to be stretched almost beyond our ability to endure. And sometimes we get it, you know, he's growing us, he's strengthening us and sometimes we are just blank. Why is this happening? So this couple, they found themselves in that situation but it's still God's enabling power, surpassing power, which enables them to keep on, even though they're hurting and even though they're cranky and even though they're struggling. It's God who will sustain them. It's God's power that helps us overcome temptation, but we have to access it. We have to call on him. It's God's power that will help us to endure to the end. So having said all of that, the Apostle Paul then just goes off on this sidetrack. Having mentioned the incomparable great power of us for us who believe, he then says, um, that power is the power he exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead, seated him in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. The Lord Jesus rules and reigns over every demonic, angelic and intellectual being of rank and persuasion, every single one of them, supreme commander. And he is above every name that people call on for help and deliverance. He's above all of that. He is supreme. Not only in the present age, but throughout all time and throughout all history and into the age to come. The Lord Jesus is supreme. And God placed all things under his feet. And get this. So here is Jesus, Son of God, supremely exalted not even the Father is above him. Father, Son and Spirit are equal. And he rules and reigns over all. Everything is under him. And the Father gives the Son to be the head of the church. We use that expression so often, I think we miss it. I think what the Apostle Paul is saying, <clears throat> head, body, what strikes you about these two things? They're linked. In fact, if they were separated, there would be a problem. Jesus, supreme ruler over all, and God gave him to be the head over the church, which is his body in other words 
The church is where? There. With him. That's what the Apostle Paul is trying to communicate. That the destiny, the ultimate destiny of those who believe in the Lord Jesus is one of future reigning and ruling with him. That's our destiny. And seeing that that is our destiny, that is to have an impact upon how we live now. Because as Paul goes on to say, verse 23, the church which is his body and it's the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Just as the church is the body that's linked to the head, the Lord Jesus, so he fills the body, he directs the body, he directs the church. When the world looks at the church, they are to see him. We are his adopted servants. We are his body, his hands and his feet. That's the standard. So Jesus, yes, church, no, is anathema. Can't go that way. Jesus and church go together. But that means that we as followers of the Lord Jesus need to be filled not only with faith in him but love for one another. That's what the Lord Jesus said in the New Commandment. By this all men will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. But there's a spiritual battle going on where the evil one will seek to divide us, will seek to us to be separated, will seek to make us critical and rude, will seek to make us be influenced by the world. But that's not the stakes. The Apostle Paul prays, I hope you guys, oh God opens your eyes and you can see what God intends to do. I'll finish there. Let me summarise what I've said and you tick these off as we go. We'll take one of these and say, I'm going to wrestle with this and work on this in my life. Number one, faith in the Lord Jesus and love for the saints are linked. When the faith is real, so is the love for the saints. Is that true for you? And if it's not true for you, then I need to warn you that you are in spiritual danger. Number two, the Apostle Paul wants us to know God personally, closely, intimately. It's a process. We have to invest time and we need a plan, a strategy on how are we going to get to know him? How is that going to work out in our life? Thirdly, we need to remind ourselves often of our future destiny, our inheritance and our hope. And we need to avail ourselves of that incredibly infinite rich power that God has, which he makes available for us to exercise in his name and for his honour. Finally, the Lord Jesus is the one who is raised and enthroned and is over all. He fills his church as we represent him in the world. We are his servants. We are his body. He is our bigger brother in the playground of this world in which we live. Our eyes are to be on him. And he has promised and we are destined for his throne. So like Paul prayed, so I'm going to pray that God would help us to see it, to get it and to experience it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for this amazing plan of salvation. I pray, Lord, that you will open our eyes, that you will give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Lord, show us yourself through your word. Open our eyes to see you at work. But most of all, Lord, can you fill us with yourself and help us as a church to represent and to reflect the Lord Jesus.
may people, when they look at us, be attracted to him. Lord, deliver us from being arrogant and proud and help us to be humble servants. Help us to be gracious to others as you've been gracious to us. And I pray that you might continue the process of transforming us. We want to serve you and we want to see you honoured and glorified. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.